Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Ed Kuja with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Whatever time you're listening to this episode, welcome to the newest edition of Icy Takes. I'm Big Dave, and on the other side is Jeff out on the webcam. Jeff, as always, we always start it off with each week. How was your week? Oh, it was uh, kind of a roller coaster, Dave. We uh, were in a situation here, and not to uh, quote John Cooper of the Tampa Bay Lightning, we here in Pittsburgh have a 5 alarm fire going on right now. Oh, oh, geez. You're already taking quotes from other head coaches that got an extension at the end of the year of the greatest regular season one of, of all time. Oh, boy. It's, it, it's as bad as it's going down there. It's not much better up here in Pittsburgh as far as the local hockey team's going, but we'll get into that later on. Um, definitely a uh, an exciting weekend, hanging out with some buds, watching some playoff hockey, and uh, we got a lot to talk about as far as the, uh, the playoffs are concerned right now. There you go. I mean, anytime you can hang out with the buds, uh, it's always a good time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's the, uh, it's the, in my opinion, that's the only way to watch playoff hockey is watch with a bunch of people everybody's got an opinion um and then you know you basically get to argue about it for a little bit so uh that's pretty much how i spent my weekend well, whether they are right or wrong it's always fun to at least have that and then all of a sudden you all stop and scream to see that one goal that one goal that your team scores yep that that one awe moment where everybody starts jumping up high five and everything it's the best part of playoff hockey is stuff here Hey, Jeff, uh, based off what you you uh, had brought up last week with how we started the show, my, my bowling season ended um, in the two leagues that I subbed for, but the one in particular on Wednesday, uh, we have a roll-off at the end of the year, so uh, we finished in last place, so there was no chance of us getting out of that for the roll-offs. Um, well, we got our last place money, however many wins we got, blah, 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 but roll-offs is a nice way to say, hey, we were the best team that week, and Jeff... We stuck it to them. We beat all the other teams that week, and we won roll-offs that day, which got us more money that day, and it made me a happy camper. There you go. There you go. You know, might have been a last-place team this year, but you know what? Rebuild season, right? It's just a rebuild season. Get ready for next year. You can take that top pick and, you know, turn it around next year. You'll probably be in the playoffs next year. We were a last-place team. We ended the year on a 10-game winning streak. We still got the number one pick, and then we move on into next year with fire. There you go. There you go. Hit, hit the uh, hit the alleys running, and you'll be off, off and running. So we got some baseball talk to end the show, whether, whether or not some teams are pretenders or contenders. We'll discuss that later. A lot of different playoff talk to, talk, to get into with, with hockey talk. But first, let's get into... Arguably the two most lopsided series right now, both of them in the Eastern Conference, and both of them both make Jeff and I look very stupid for these uh, for these picks in the long run. Uh, each one of these teams that are in a 3-0 deficit are our Stanley Cup champion picks, and we're going to leave it up to you guys if you guys uh, are listening to this and have time to either uh, throw it, throw this at Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, who looks more stupid with their Stanley Cup pick? Me with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who arguably had the best regular season of all time, or Jeff with his pick of the hometown team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Both of these teams down 3 nothing 
And we are going to discuss, first, our stupidity for picking these teams to pick go in the long run. And second, what is going on with these two teams? Jeff, where would you want to start off? Uh, let's start with your uh, your dumb pick first, the Tampa Bay Lightning. This one's an intriguing series because when this series started in game one, Tampa Bay looked very much like how everybody thought Tampa Bay was going to look. They were going up and down the ice. They were scoring goals left and right. They were up 3 nothing at the end of one. And then all of a sudden, Columbus scores a goal. It's 3-1. Columbus scores again, 3-2. All of a sudden, Columbus scores again. It's 3-3. And they pull out a game one victory, and they win 4-3. And it's been downhill ever since for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Again, ran out of their own building Friday night, losing 5-1. to And then coming up to Columbus, and Columbus putting a stranglehold on the series with a 3-1 victory and being up three games to none in the series. Um, it's it's just crazy how you take your, your foot off the gas pedal for – arguably, you know, two or three minutes, a team gets a little bit of life. They get a big goal. They start to believe in themselves again. And all of a sudden, Tampa Bay is playing for their season tomorrow night, which is what nobody – I know I didn't – I said they'd have a tough road. I didn't think that their tough road would end in the uh, in the first round of the playoffs. I thought they'd lose in the second round. But um, it's just – it's crazy. And – um, the Pittsburgh Penguins can thank their lucky stars that John Cooper and Steven Stamkos are struggling just as bad as they are because um, if not, the big story in the NHL would be is the uh, is if the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, era of winning is could be over. But um, instead, a lot of people are talking about what's wrong with the President's Trophy uh, champion Tampa Bay Lightning. So this was game one was arguably so far out of every game in the playoffs, one of the best games, if not the best game of this early playoff in the first round. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you had, like, like I said though, but the, um, Tampa Bay coming out and playing how everybody absolutely expected. They're flying around, they're scoring goals, they're making plays. And then ever since Columbus came back, it seems like Tampa Bay has been playing on their heels. It seems like they're almost, they're almost winning for themselves to to lose a hockey game instead of going out winning a game they're expecting to lose and it's almost dumbfounding right it's almost tough to explain how something like this can happen where you're you're the best team in the league for 82 games and then you go off the oh Toronto just scored again Mitch Marner um Getting a little distracted by the live action sports. <laughs> oh yeah, I got the Leafs and the Bruins on in the background, but it's hard, it's hard to explain though because this this was the best team hands down, and it wasn't like they played in a weak division. The second best team in the league was the Boston Bruins, and they still won um, their division by I, I think over twenty points or something like that. So um, it, it it's it's crazy how playoff hockey comes around. It doesn't matter what where you're at in the uh, in the standings you just have to show up and you have to be, have to have that belief and right now uh Columbus has that belief that they can get this sweep done at Nationwide tomorrow night I I think the basically the turning point um so far in this series with the Blue Jackets being up 3 nothing is the early saves made by Bobrovsky in game 1 of the second period where the Lightning had a power play and Kucherov had the two two good chances 
One was saved uh, by Bobrovsky, and then the other one hit the crossbar. And these shots were within under a minute of each other. And ever since then, the Lightning have scored two goals in eight periods. And the Blue Jackets have just been flexing their muscles on top of um, the Tampa Bay Lightning ever since. Now, the one thing I would like to mention is that I thought just the overall talent and success of the Lightning this year would just overplay everything that the Blue Jackets have. Because if you look at it, the Blue Jackets really aren't a bad team. They're basically, um, you could say, like a, almost like a scrap heap of players put together and are just gelling at the right time. I mean, what, they won nine out of, out of their last ten to end the season. And even though, like we were saying last week, I love seeing teams that go in hot into the playoffs, I thought that was would have been an immediate cool-down playing, like we keep saying, the best regular season team, one of, of all time. And now with that team being up 3 nothing, Jeff, this Columbus team is actually something to be reckoned with. Right. Well, you, we talked about, too, when we did our deadline show. You can get that back in the archives if you want to hear some of that, that commentary. Um, Columbus went absolutely all in at the deadline, and it was for the playoffs. They 100% were getting ready for the playoffs when they picked up Matthew Shane, Ryan Dezingle, um so and you know who's leading the way right now is in the last couple of games is Matt Duchesne. He's showing up. He's he's going out and getting his points. Where a lot of people say, you know, maybe he's not the guy that Columbus can rely on in the playoffs very much, like Sergey Bobrovsky, who a lot of people had questions about him. But the um, the guys that that people had a lot of question marks on the Columbus roster, they they are stepping up with Bobrovsky playing well. Matthew Shane's getting his points. Artemi Panarin's getting his points. Um, I agree with you 100%. Columbus is starting to gel, and maybe they're a team to be reckoned with because they're almost like a uh, – they're very similar to a team like the Boston Bruins where they got a lot of grip, but they got a lot of skill too, and they got a great back end with Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski that um, they could absolutely be a team to be reckoned with going through the, uh, the Atlantic division uh, being that second wild card team. And one more thing I wanted to bring up before we switch it over to the next series and before we make our picks for these two series, um, you could have told me, you could have given me a choice. Who would you rather have operating your bench? I would have picked John Cooper over Tortorella uh, in the most recent years because John Cooper has had that regular season success and has had a little postseason success as well, just not been able to to capitalize on that Um with that loss in the Stanley Cup in 2015. But, I mean, right now, John Tortorella is showing off what he's been able to do 15 years ago. Yeah, you know what? John Tortorella, I I, I get why people don't like him. But as a, as a player, he's a straightforward guy. He's going to tell you what, what he thinks of you. He's going to be brutally honest. But he gets the most out of his players. Players are willing to go out and block shots for him. And and play that gritty style to be in that lineup, and I I agree with you. I think he's he's the type of guy that he's not going to coddle you. He's going to tell you like it is, and he gets everything out of his players. And that's the kind of coach sometimes you need this time of year is not the guy that's going to coddle you and say everything's okay. Sometimes players need that coach that's going to get in their face a little bit and kind of challenge them straight up so um 
Yeah, it's it, it's crazy because I think you would. I think a lot of people would agree with you that a lot of people would rather have John Cooper than John Tortorella as far as their recent successes and uh, and um, it's just crazy how the tables have really turned in people's expectations for uh, for this series. So let's switch it over to the other three O series and your dumb pick. Uh, for oh. Stanley Cup, the the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you know, even last year, I think the the Pens were a definite a definite um, you know, lock, not lock, but a, a a candidate to make the run for the Stanley Cup this year. With the way the uh, the season uh, unfurled for this team, I never thought that the Penguins even have a shot at at the Cup. I mean, even with arguably the top two players in the league whenever they, they play at their best with Crosby and Malkin and everybody else along with them. Um, but right now, I mean, Barry Trotz has had Mike Sullivan's numbers uh, dating back to last year's playoffs with the Capitals. And now this year with a lot less star power, but right now Barry Trotz is just absolutely out coaching Mike Sullivan and the, the players on the ice are making it look easy for Barry Trotz. Uh, for the Islanders. I mean, what have you been taking away? What's your biggest thing that you've taken away from this series so far? The biggest thing that you take away from this series right now is that from pretty much the drop of the puck in every game so far has been played on the New York Islanders' terms. They, they're they able to just get pucks deep. They, they've been able to score off the rush because they're a quicker team than Pittsburgh right now. And then once they get that lead, and God forbid they get a, a two-goal lead, but once they get the lead, they sit back, and the Penguins just have no offensive pushback at all. Um, they're if you go through the game tape, they they're very hesitant to get in the zone. Their passes aren't clicking. It seems like every time they make a pass, it's um it's bouncing off sticks. It's not coming in clean, and their zone entries just aren't there. And um, I know a lot of people want to want to blame Matt Murray because they're still on the whole. Murray flurry thing that's well in the past, but well, that's that, going to last forever. I don't think that's ever going to change. And, and, and it's a real shame because out of, out of the, the whole Pittsburgh team, Matt Murray has honestly, I mean, they haven't gotten the, the big save, but I mean, you, you look at Jordan Eberle's goal Sunday afternoon where he puts that short side. I mean, that's a that is Crosby a, goal. Yeah, that is a hell of a shot. And, you know, if it's Sidney Crosby, we're saying, oh, that's a, that's a Hall of Fame goal. And, you know, only a guy like Sid can put that puck there. But, you know, the fact just Jordan Everly, we're saying, oh, Matt Murray's glove hand's weak or his blocker side's weak or whatever. We're coming up with something about Matt Murray that we don't like. So, um, on, honestly, with this series, I, I'm going to be very interested because I, I don't think they're going to come back. They might win Tuesday night, which I'll be in the barn for that one. Um, I don't know if they're going to win. Tuesday night, I I I don't think they'll get swept, but I just don't see how they they come back and uh, and win this series. So I mean, the Penguins, when they've had a chance on offense, are putting a lot of shots on laner. Whether they are good shots, whether they are just shots to just get on net to maybe get a lucky bounce and then get get another shot right after that. But when you are facing a goalie that's saving ninety five point one percent of the shots, it's hard to win, especially when you have a defense that is not giving up good shots in the first place. I mean, Robin Lehner, you could argue, hasn't really had to be spectacular in this series, right? No, and I mean, the that's part of Barry Trotz's system, though, is that if you watch the, 
the um, the Islanders are collapsing in the zone. They're they're pretty much giving away the points, and the shots from the points are just not getting to Robert Robin Leonard. Um, I know the Penguins. I think on in game one they had what forty four shots or something like that. But I mean, like you said, they're not necessarily all high quality shots. Um, they're kind of left to the outside, and um, it, it's also a big factor that you know Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel have not produced in these playoffs. And um, I know it's kind of like the the easy way out, but at the end of the day, you got to get your your stars this time of year. They got to be scoring whether because every star is facing top D pairs. You know, Patrick Laine seeing uh, Alex Petrangelo every night. Um, Nathan McKinnon seeing Mark Giordano every night. Um, you know, the, the star, your stars have to be your stars, uh, and the Penguins just aren't getting that from their stars right now. I mean, I can see a team like the Penguins, especially the way they've played this year, be down in a series in, after three games, two to one. I mean, I, I'm, I don't expect them to be down three nothing at all in the playoffs with the with the roster that they have constructed right now. That was understandable the first time that Sidney Crosby and then made the playoffs back in 07, I think, when the streak started, and they got swept by the Senators immediately because it was their first time in the playoffs. What the hell else did they really know about that? But now, mm-hmm. with all the years of making the playoffs and all the experience, um, there's really no excuse for a team – that has, as people always herald him, the the greatest player to be playing right now uh, in hockey, which is Sidney Crosby, and you you can name you can just rattle off any other names that really aren't even playing in the playoffs right now. The fact that I think uh, Goodbranson has more points than Sidney Crosby, the fact that um, Garrett Wilson has more points than Jake Gensel is a huge problem for Pittsburgh. A hundred percent, and I mean. You like to see that your depth players scoring like that. Because that's how it, the Penguins won their cups is depth scoring. Depth, depth, depth. But you know but you know what? Sidney Crosby was scoring. Jake Gensel was scoring. Evgeny Malkin was scoring. You're not getting you're not getting the production from your top guys like you did in past years what that came along with that depth scoring. Because you're hundred percent right, you know. It, it, the 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 scoring from Gabranson or from Garrett Wilson, yeah, that's that's awesome. But if you're not getting your stars scoring, or or at least being a threat right now, outside of Sidney Crosby, no one is a threat to score a goal right now. Yeah, I mean, you have Jay Gensel who looked lost a couple times because the Penguins had chances uh, in their last game in Game Three to put up goals, especially at the end of the first period. They had a chance to tie up that that game at the end of the first period with under ten seconds left to go. I believe twice. The second shot was really time ran out, I think, even before the puck had a chance to get in the net. But there is no reason why you can't get a clean shot, whether it's from, I believe, I think Jake Gensel was on the breakaway on the side looking to receive it um, on the one-timer. And I forget who was taking it down uh, the ice at the end of the first, but there's no reason why. On Sunday? Yeah. At the it end was, of the first uh, period. Yeah, it was uh, Gensel, Crosby, Simone. Simone was on the back end. Yeah, the, but like with all those names, I mean Simone, not really. But with those names, there should be a clean shot. It doesn't even have to go in; just a good chance. But there was nothing there, and it just looked like they were stupid and just couldn't compete. Like I, 
I, I thought about it. I thought maybe that your team that you were coaching had a had a shot to at least uh, stop that breakaway. I mean, it was it was a tough pass for Jake. He looks like he kind of ran out of real estate, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, they've just seemed out of source. And anytime they get a break going the other way, you know, Robin Leonard's been there to 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 hold it down. Um, part of me wonders, though, is that you know. This might this might be kind of like the calling card for the Penguins, where they're going to have to reassess themselves this off season, and um, there might be changes that that will be made um, as far as the the style that they decide to play um, for the rest of the Crosby Malkin era. So I I, I think it might not be a bad thing because it's going to almost force the Penguins to reassess uh, one their roster construction and maybe. Maybe uh, uh, Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan have to sit down and say, you know what, um, we have to reassess the style of the game that we want to play. Obviously, everybody wants to play fast and uh, score a lot of goals and everything, but right now the Penguins don't look like they're able to play that style anymore. So let's go and put our prediction caps on again because it went so greatly last week. Let's try this again. Um if there is one of these two series that can pull off a reverse sweep, which team is more likely to do it, the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Pittsburgh Penguins? I think 100% it's the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I mean that's even a stretch. I don't I don't I don't see any way how either of these teams are able to pull this off, but right now if you made me pick one it's 100% Tampa. Um I mean, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think with everything that they've constructed and still have on that team, the Islanders are a team that can be beat if you can beat that defense. And you have to be able to beat the defense in there first before they set up their defense and collapse on the puck whenever the Pens are in the offensive zone. If the Penguins can move their lines around, I think that they have a, a better chance of doing of completing the, the reverse sweep than the Tampa Bay Lightning, because I think Leonard is a goalie that can be beat um, more than Bobrovsky with um, that certain style of defense in there. Because I think Leonard is just, um, you could say, I'm, I can't even think of the right wording right now. It's just he's, a, a, he, he's a body. I mean, he's a big guy, but he's very similar to Matt Murray. I, I don't think he's making saves. He's, block, he's blocking pucks. Right, but I think he's like a product of the system right now because – even if you look back on the Penn Stanley Cup runs, the defense was good, but it, you still need a great goalie play out of both Flurry and Murray when called upon. And right now, Leonard is kind of just there because of how good that defense is, similar to like the the early New Jersey Devil style of like the two thousand. Right, right. And honestly, I think I think the Islanders are playing a little bit like that, but they're a lot quicker and. Um, Honestly, I think the Islanders are a little bit more, I want to say kind of like the John Tortorella teams when he was coaching the Rangers, where they really got you on like that counterattack. You know, they would get that big block, and then once once you turn the puck over, they were going the other way, and they were going to score a goal. So I, I think that's the style they're kind of playing, is that they'll sit back, wait for you to turn it over, and then they're going back the other way instead of just go, going right at teams. Let us know what you think. Uh, of the two teams, who would you put money on? Who would you put your house on that would have a better chance 
of pulling off the reverse sweep and why. You can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Icy Take uh, at Icy Takes with Big Jeff and Big Dave on Facebook. Still can't talk right now. And on Twitter with at Icy Takes. I C E Y Takes is how we spell it because that's the way we like to do it. So Jeff, um, we have some more hockey talk. It's not just those two series. There's more out there. No, no, and we got a couple couple suspensions that were dropped today that were uh, some pretty big ones. Um, Nazem Kadri Saturday night uh, decided to cross check Jake DeBrusque, uh pretty much in the jaw after um, they had been battling pretty much all game. The Leafs were trailing uh, three to one, and um, Jake DeBrusk uh, kind of edged out. Uh, Patrick Marlowe against the wall and he kind of ran into like the rounded glass at the end of the bench and Codger took exception, went over and uh, pretty much cross-checked him right in the jaw and uh, uh, DeBrusque went down, Zidane Char went in to kind of stick up for his teammate and uh, next thing you know um, Codger's thrown out of the game and his suspension came down that he was going to be suspended for the rest of the series so that pretty much could be up to a five-game suspension, which is a uh, massive suspension this time of year. Uh, the NHL values the playoff games very highly. And um, pretty much a year to the day of what Nazem Kadri did last year when he uh, when he went after um, another Boston player, hit him in the heads. So two, a repeat offender. Things, and Go ahead. Two things I just want to bring up about this. One, um, I understand like sticking up for your teammate, um, but I also do think it's kind of funny the way Chara went into Kadri after he did his uh, BS to uh, DeBrusque was a little dirty itself, but I understand that you're trying to stick up for the teammate. It's kind of funny how Chara gets nothing of that because of how Kadri started it. He, I just think that's, if you watch I just that, think it's if, peculiar. If, if you watch that video, I mean, Chara doesn't do anything too, too crazy. I mean, he kind of... Not in comparison. He kind of roughs him up a little bit, but it, I, I mean, it wasn't like he was throwing haymakers in his head or right, anything. Right, right. No, but it looked like almost like hip to head into the board after Kadri did what was totally unacceptable. I just think it's peculiar that to stand up for a teammate, it's a lot different than when you just go after somebody. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I don't, I don't know. It's. I, I, I think Kadri obviously deserves. Um, well, I want to get into that later. But I, it's weird that there's nothing out there for Chara with the way he defended his teammate is what I'm trying to get at. Where Whether it's just like a, like a slap on the wrist, like, hey, you know, you did this to him, shouldn't have been done that way, here's your little you know, slap on the wrist, we'll take care of him later. Um, and the second thing I wanted to bring up is I appreciate that it is a multiple game suspension. I hate how the NHL kind of took a a backseat on this and just said, you're gone for the rest of the series, which that can range from a minimum of three and the maximum of five. So this doesn't really set a precedent for, or precedent for what that hit does. Then there should, I think there should have been an, an exact number game suspension on this hit rather than just leaving it a variable based off how the series goes. But uh, uh, you know what? You know what? Honestly, that tells me is that the NHL doesn't want this to escalate further. And with it being a playoff series, I don't know if it would or not, because as the playoffs go, you don't see quite as many shenanigans going on. Um, 
Well, you know, one but thing that, that they could do to make sure that doesn't happen again is just do the maximum. Just do five for the series, and if they'd want to make sure that he's gone for the rest of the series, and if the Maple Leafs, you know, let's just say they pull off three wins in a row to win the series, then he sits the two in the next series, probably playing against the Blue Jackets. So I don't see the problem in putting down a firm th- number there. I, I, th- I think that that's... That's where the NHL comes in and says, you know, we're also valuing, um, you know, how important it is to miss playoff games. Right. I, no, I understand what you're saying, but I, I still think that the NHL could do a better job with this particular um, incident. I think the um, the Kucherov, the the Joe Thornton that came out today. Um, who are the others that got suspended? Uh, those were like the big three, the big three suspensions. Okay, but uh, I think, like, the way they did those, like, hey, one game, you know, they shouldn't have done that. One game, you you shouldn't have done that. Joe Thornton maybe should have got two. We were talking about that earlier in the show. I just think there needed to be an exact number with this hit. I know what you're saying. They they pride themselves on, hey, this is what happens whenever you, you know, look like an asshole out there and you're going to miss the rest of the series. But at the same time, you could set that number. You could set the number. And if the Maple Leafs got swept the rest of the way, um, three games in a row, then Caldry has to sit the next two to start the next the next regular season. So I just think it was, um, um, if if this even makes sense, a backseat move by the NHL to say, hey, you know, we did give him a harsh punishment, but we're not really sure what that is. I see what you're saying. It, it's kind of confusing that they don't give a firm no, uh, number, but. Um... I mean, this isn't the first time the NHL has also done this too. They've done this in the past, so right. Um, but I, I just, believe with I think Matt Cook, they did the same thing the year the Penguins played Tampa Bay, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, I have to look back, but I, I can't remember offhand. Um, but I, I I don't know. I, I think the Caudry thing, um, it's more of just trying to keep him out of the series as much as they can, and they they could do the maximum. You know, we're not gonna we're going to just make it five and then he'll miss other, other games in a series, but um, he might miss other games in the series. Right. I, I, and I think they wanted to stay away from that, that they wanted to keep the punishment within the series. And that's why they, why they made it just, he's just going to be out for the series and then he's good to go for the next round. Yeah. And then, so we also have Joe Thornton who, you know, just seeing the hit today, it could have very well been avoided. Boy, and Joe Thornton did not have to have a suspension, but he had that hit lined up and did not want to get away from it. Is, is part of me tells me I I know Joe Thornton isn't. I don't think he has a history of any kind, and if he does, it's like it may be a one one off suspension. Um, but this comes off as such a legacy suspension; it's not even funny. And what I mean by that is that I mean that that hit was so blatantly terrible. That even like I was watching that game last night, and and the announcers were even saying, you know, we might not see Joe Thornton for a couple games because of that hit, and uh, I I just don't like that it's only one game. I think if if you're really concerned about the concussions and protocol and all this crap, that's a hit that's that should be a guaranteed three game suspension. I just like how you're talking about concussions and like the concussion protocol, and have to end it with the word crap to describe to describe everything that goes along with that it's- right because, because every league's like that and it's not just the nhl it's, it's baseball it's it's football you know any contact sport 
they talk about all these concussions and everything, and then something like this happens, and it, they get a slap on the wrist. So how long has Joe Thornton been been in the league? He was drafted in, I believe, 97. Okay. If, I'm, if I'm wrong on that, tweet me at jchrist underscore 51 or find me on Facebook, Jeff Christ. I believe it's a 21-year career, including this year. And uh, my next question for you was going to be, how many cups has he won? He, In the words of John Tortorella, he hasn't won a goddamn thing in this league. So the fact that I just love the phrasing that you used of the legacy suspension there because he's just been around and just been a, a name in the NHL for so long. I get why you said that. But it's funny that you put the the, the phrasing legacy in front of it for a guy who because hasn't won he, anything. You, you know why he's a legacy, though? Because he's Jumbo Joe. Everybody loves Joe. He's he's a good guy, you know. that That's what I mean by legacy is he's a good Canadian boy that, you know, did everything the right way, never really complained about anything, and – all, all of a sudden now we're gonna we'll give him a slap on the wrist. That's just Joe being Joe, you know. He didn't mean to do that. That's what I meant by that. I, I know, I know, but I just thought the phrasing of that was funny for a person that hasn't won anything. That's all. Right, hundred percent. I get what you what you mean. So, um, but yeah, I think overall the NHL has done a good job besides the Cadre um, incident. If there would have been. Uh, a three, a four, or a five in front of that for game suspended. I'd say so far the NHL is doing a damn good job with all, everything that's going on the ice. But um, I'll give them a I'll give them a, a B because they're uh, they've been on their on their toes real early and real quick. Yeah, they seem to be uh, for for a league that really prides itself on playoff hockey and you know it's it's the grind and everything they seem to be really on their uh their p's and q's as far as making sure um guys are getting disciplined still the same way as they do in the regular season so um you know any, any shenanigans that you see happening usually gets its uh rightful discipline in the playoffs so you had a couple more notes of hockey talk before we switch it over yeah, so uh, a couple of series that I've been watching. We kind of been sticking to the East uh, pretty hard here with the Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh series. Couple of series to keep an eye on uh, out west, Calgary and Colorado. I've I've watched uh, both games. I plan on watching tonight after we get done recording. Um, this is a great series, uh, up and down. A uh, little bit of storylines here. Um, Kill McCarr, the Hobie Baker winner, which is pretty much. Um, the Heisman Trophy of college hockey. He's going to be joining the Colorado Avalanche tonight um, in the lineup. Um, I know you probably didn't. You probably didn't see uh, Nathan McKinnon's overtime goal Saturday night, but uh, for those who did, I know I can speak for them. It was probably uh, the goal of the first round of the playoffs so far. Okay. Um, to describe it, we'll I'll I'll post it on on the at least the Twitter. I think if you can find it for the Facebook. Um, we'll post it on there. Um, basically what one, happened was, uh, ahead. sorry about that. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, but I, I, I wanted you to describe that actually, cause I have a question for you then. Okay. So basically to what, what happened was, uh, Calgary was kind of swarming in overtime and, uh, Matthew Kachuk, not Kachuk as you like to call him. Aha. Um, uh, he, he has a puck down low below the goal line. Calgary's swarming. Uh, they have a uh, chance in front. And um, and Philip Grubauer makes a big save, just a big save, point blank from about three feet in front of his own crease. 
Uh, former Penguin Ian Cole picks it up. You know, didn't block the shot, but he picked up the puck. Uh, got it to uh, to to Ranton in for Colorado on their breakout. And as as this is all happening, Nathan McKinnon, who is coming from pretty much his own goal line, streaking through the neutral zone, Ranton and puts the puck on on his tape on the fly. Comes in and a quick little snapshot from about the top of the circle, between top of the circle and the and the faceoff hash marks, puts it on the far upper upper 90 on uh, on Mike Smith to give Colorado the uh, 3-2-1 and tie the series 1-1. Um, it was just an absolute thing of beauty, and um, it, it exemplified everything of uh, Nathan McKinnon's game that was just quick speed, quick hands, quick shot, and it ends up in the back of the net for an overtime winner. It was uh, definitely a thing of beauty. So back to what you said about the avalanche for the first part of the series with uh, your boy uh, Cole McCarr getting his NHL debut. Kale McCarr, bud. Oh, uh, Kale. I, th- I thought it was Kale. Cole. I Kale. honestly Kale. forgot. Hey, did I get the last name right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's, I'll, uh, that's I'll all that matters. On that one. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> honestly, you were so close, you just missed on one vowel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the the article I have in front of me only has his last name, so right. I apologize for not remembering the first. No, nah, you're good. You're good, man. I, I we won't add that one to the t-shirt. I have a great t-shirt in mind that okay. that, uh, that we're gonna we we have to put out because, and I know a bunch of people are gonna buy. Okay, so um, so just give me the like the timeline here. He was. He was just signed by the Avalanche not too long ago, right? He he was signed, I believe, Sunday morning. I want to say so. The time his timeline. This is, I mean, this is absolutely just a big league move here on his part. So he was playing for uh, UMass Amherst last week in the Frozen Four, which is the uh, College Hockey National Championship. Uh, they won their semifinal game. They move on and they play Minnesota Duluth in the national championship game on uh, Saturday night. They uh, they end up losing to Minnesota Duluth. Minnesota Duluth goes back to back. Um, he also, I believe, Friday won the Hobie Baker as college hockey's best player, and pretty much Colorado put him on a plane after his national championship loss. Said, "Hey, we want to sign you to your entry level deal." He signs on the dotted line, and he'll be in the lineup uh, tonight playing for the Colorado Avalanche, playing against his hometown Calgary Flames. So, um, he was drafted by the Avalanche's past um, draft, yeah? No? I, I believe so. Okay. Let me, let me check on that. Hang on. All right. Well, well while, you, while you check on that, the my question is because um, I, I really am confused with the timing of all this is – how a player who just signed with a team can make his NHL debut during the playoffs. Okay. Like to not put any time in the regular season and just be thrown into the playoffs. It feel like you're just getting a fresh body after that. And it's not really like you're making a trade or um, you're going out of the KHL to sign someone. I, I think it's um, something that, you know, me just thinking of it randomly that the NHL sh- not should really have a um, uh, qualifiers, if you want to say, of um, like a minimum games played during the regular season, so that you can participate for that team in the playoffs. So, so the NHL doesn't have essentially a salary cap in the um, in the uh, in the playoffs. So, pretty much, you know, whatever lineup you can put together after the trade deadline and going into the playoffs. 
you know, it's it's all for it, and because it, essentially he's still owned by by Colorado despite not having a contract. That's why they're able to pull this off. Is that um, since he was in college, he obviously couldn't sign the deal and still playing college. Right. But he but they still own his rights for three years until he would become a, a free agent or whatever. Yeah. So, so I just get confused that. A, a player who was drafted by this team but uh, still played uh, hockey or uh, still played college hockey. Right. And like the team obviously still has his rights because it's, it's sort of similar to baseball. I guess the Pirates kind of got screwed on Mark Capel, but, you know, Mark Capel hasn't flourished like he was supposed to. Um, Shocker. <laughs> but um, it, it's just weird to me that a player who was playing college um, hockey this past year can just sign with the team that drafted him and immediately be put into the playoffs um, and not have to go through, um, you know, like their minor league system and work his way up or, you know, just go through training camp and then be right on the team at the beginning of the regular season. Um, the So if what I'm trying to get at is that if you go back to college hockey, you should either A, that team shouldn't have the right to you anymore, or B, you have to wait until the next regular season to play if you don't get in until the playoffs. So the formula you're talking about, and I know I'm probably going to screw this up in some way, and I know I'm going to get heat from it. Um, The NHL and the CHL, which is a Canadian Hockey League, which is where a lot of junior players play, um, up in Canada, it's where it's where you know, it's where Sidney Crosby plays, it's where Nate McKinnon plays, it's where Connor McDavid played. They have a, I believe they have a deal with the NHL that if you're still junior eligible, and you get sent back to junior, you can't come back up. Okay. So if you're, are you following me here? So far. Okay. So that deal is in place with the CHL, so they can still stay in pretty much in business and if if guys get sent down they're you know they're they're still not making money or anything they're they're still at amateur status whereas per, there's no deal in place like that as far as with the NCAA um and I don't think the, there ever will be oh no I, I honestly I'm surprised that there isn't something going on with uh college hockey players and NCAA violations because of yeah I mean the the rope these two parties walk is just absolutely incredible so um, so basically as as far as your comment on being on not having to go through the minor league system or anything you know how you avoid all that what's that like be a top five pick in the draft in 2017 <laughs> because I'm, I'm sure you'll they'll find a spot for you. So oh, I, I know they'll find a spot. It's just, it, it's just, it was like I said, for um, someone who knows the sport but doesn't follow it as closely as they should. Um, it's just confusing to me that a player who is drafted by a team still plays college hockey. That team still has the rights to him, and he can just jump straight into the playoffs. Right. Absolutely. It's 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 crazy because um, Charlie McAvoy pretty much did the same thing for the Bruins two years ago. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Like he, they're, they're, he was playing for Boston University. They lose, and he's like, "Oh, I'll be a top four defenseman on the Boston Bruins the next day." You know, thank you. Keep the change, but you know, whatever. 
yeah so yeah just wanted to bring that up but um aside from that uh huge diversion uh so far in those first two games great series i mean calgary showed what they're made of in that first game shutting out the avalanche but then you know the next game the avalanche how you were describing that overtime period just you know showing that the avalanche still have life and should be taken seriously boy the the avalanche really pushed hard to get that uh that game tied and even getting getting the goal in overtime uh i think i think it was ray ferraro him and gord miller are, are calling that series yeah. And uh, Ray Ferraro was saying, like, if you're Colorado, you have to have game two. Like, you can't go back to Calgary down 2-0 in the series. And, oh, um, for sure. Or, I did say Colorado there, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you can't get down 2-0. You can't dig yourself a big hole. And they pushed hard, absolutely hard to get the, get the tying goal late. And uh, to get the, the win in overtime definitely gives the uh, – the belief in, uh, in Colorado. So what else do you have for hockey talk? Uh, the last series I want to talk about is the Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks. This has been a absolute treat to watch. Uh, after watching the, the boring hockey of the New York Islanders um, a Friday night, watching the Vegas Golden Knights put up three goals in the first five minutes of the game, San Jose battling back in the first period to make it 3-3, um, actually seeing like, skillful offensive hockey um this series has just has had a little bit of everything it's had, it's had scoring it's had grit it's had um you know some scrums and some fights uh this is a rivalry that i think the nhl is absolutely very happy to have in the western conference between these two teams and um i think this is this series is far from over because i think we both had this going seven seven games um but I think Vegas is still going to hang on. And Mark Stone has been an absolute monster for Vegas so far. He's probably been one of the best uh, mid-deadline uh, acquisitions for any team that's currently in the playoffs right now. Yeah, it, it. I was thinking this to myself. is like, Remember last year when the Penguins got Derek Broussard and like everybody was all excited. Like Penguins have the best three centers in the league. Yeah. And it, it just, like, didn't pan out for whatever reason. And it seems like deadline deals nowadays, they don't necessarily always pan out. But this one did. And it, it worked out for Vegas. And um, it's kind of – it's got to be awesome as a fan when your team goes out, goes all in to get a guy like Mark Stone. And it absolutely pays off the way it has so far for them. So what I wanted to get at with these two teams is that they they both limped into the, into the playoffs and – because of Calgary winning their division, they were almost a shoe in to play each other. Um, but with Mark Andre Fleury and what he has in front of him, I still think that, like you were saying, that the Knights have the advantage, especially winning Game Three last night the way they did. Um, what was it six to three and taking the two one series lead? Yeah, and that six to three was pretty. Uh, it. It seems close, but that game really wasn't close. Uh, Vegas started to run San Jose out of the building. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the way that the Penguins did it, uh, especially three years ago in 2016 with everything that they were able to pull together with trades and how they'd all just gelled together, and even like the year after, um, the Knights have something similar to what the Penguins did in those two years with the with the players that they acquired and the the the, the potential of what they of what they can do to move on throughout these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. 
Um, it's similar. And like you said, you predicted it. I didn't. Maybe Vegas might be repeating as Western Conference champions. Um, but still, they got to get past this first round. But without Joe Thornton out there in game four, maybe they'll take a 3-1 lead. Yeah, we'll see. We'll absolutely see. But um, for people that, you know, maybe you're having a rough night sleeping, can't quite close your eyes and get to sleep, turn one of those series on. You'll be absolutely entertained by it. Um, it's fast hockey. It's a lot of scoring. It's physical. Um, but it's not putting – it's not – non-entertaining hockey like what you've seen in the Pittsburgh New York series so far so uh those are the two series I absolutely wanted to talk about because they've they've been um incredibly entertaining with all the scoring and all the physical play so far so anything else for hockey talk nope I think that is it I think I'm all hockeyed out for this week (laughs) oh I mean we were able to cover a lot and uh I mean you you guys can always join us as as well, or at least inform us. Remember, you can send us uh, voice messages on Anchor.fm and just give us your opinion, or just give us something to to talk about, like pose a question for us, or give us uh, an opinion that you have on a current series or anything going on in in hockey or baseball. Uh, we'd love to hear it and even discuss it on the show for next week. So let's move over to a uh, little baseball talk now. So. We have early season, um, early season standings, which really don't mean um, a thing usually in baseball. But how, how we're going to discuss it today is, sorry, um, can barely talk right now. Had dinner recently and I needed needed a burp there a little bit, but I held it back. I'm good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, so what we're going to do is go through each division, the current division winner, um, as of. You know, the time when we record this, which is Monday night. So whatever the standings say on Monday night is what is what is how we'll produce, how we'll produce this, how we'll predict it. So, Jeff, let's go. Uh, do you want to start AL or NL? Uh, let's start NL just because I can just scroll down on my app right here. So, <laughs> OK, so let's go to the NL East first. because I'm sure that's the first one. Uh, yes. We currently have the, the Phillies with a half-game lead on both the Mets and the Braves. Well, let's just focus on the Phillies right now. Um, to win the division, like saying that they're a contender means that they that you think they will win the division or have the potential to win the division. Um, and saying that they're a pretender will basically say that they won't even make the playoffs. So what do you think about the Phillies right now? I think the Phillies are 100% a contender. Um we we said in our uh, our predictions earlier this year that uh, that this division is going to be a three or four team division where you feel that all four teams are going to be separated within three or four games. Um, I don't know if they'll win the division, but I think they'll be they'll be in the playoffs this year. And um, this lineup is just so deadly. It's it's incredible to watch this, this team. Uh, just the names that you have to go through three or four times in a game and consistently get out is is absolutely incredible. Um, the only thing that, that I think that they need to worry about is maybe some bullpen help or maybe another arm. Um, but I, I, I would definitely circle them as a contender. I mean, there's no reason to, to call this team a pretender for all the acquisitions that they've made and um, all the, the firepower that they have. But um, I mean, after starting off four and zero, they are five and five in the last ten. Um, so that that is something maybe not to like be concerned about, but to see that they are very human and that they can make mistakes, especially early on. 
But when you have the the Mets and the Braves both nipping at the heels and, you know, before diverging off the conversation too much, uh, what a series, Mets and Braves, huh? Yeah, the uh, the one thing I learned about the about the uh, Mets, I'm sorry, I almost said Braves. The one thing I learned about the Mets in that series is that um, their arms are definitely the strength of that team. And as far as their bats, their bats are a little underrated. Um, but I think if they would want to be in that contender role, that they need to be a um, they need to add a bat at some point this year. Yeah, I mean, right now you could argue that Robinson Cano um, could easily have this team in first place if, if he was even close to playing the way he should be playing uh, based off how, how much he gets paid. But with the with the numbers that they have around him right now with J.B. Davis and Pete Alonzo, my future Rookie of the Year pick, by the way, um, and uh, who, who's on the You're bottom? able to pronounce that name correct. Oh, yeah, so Jesus. hard, Pete Alonzo. Oh, yeah, all the baseball ones you get right, but the hockey guys you can never get right. Hey, hey, it's a tough world out there. So um, I'm, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on some names on the bottom of Cano in the lineup right now, but there are supporting numbers around him that could easily have the Mets in first place if Robinson Cano can pick it up a little bit. So, Well, that's and, what Adrian well, Rod and company were talking about last night because the Braves were on Sunday Night Baseball again. Um, they were talking about how, yeah, his numbers aren't there. I think he's batting like a buck ninety-five so far. Yeah, so far. But like they were saying, like the Mets are like, yeah, that it's not exactly all there. But he's he he's a name. He's a name that the Mets can put around all these young batters, and that they just they just come into work every day and they watch Robinson Cano. And they, they watch his habits. They watch how he prepares for for games, the film that he studies, and his work in the cage. And they're saying that's why these guys around him are hitting so well is because they're learning from Robinson Cano. And it's something that maybe he wasn't able to do in Seattle because he had, you know, Nelson Cruz behind him where, you know, he's not exactly a young guy. He's not learning from him or anything. So, um, that's what – that seems to be the big story out of New York is – what Robinson Cano is doing off the field, not necessarily what he's doing on the field. So, yeah, uh, to get back to the original question, yes, I do think the Phillies are 100% a contender, and I do think in the long run that they can battle both the Mets and the Braves for that d- division title, like I said at the beginning of the year, and they can still do it as of two weeks ago from when we first started making these predictions. So I think I, I think that as far as the uh, the three teams that, between the Phillies, Braves, and Mets, I would say the Mets would probably be three and a half out of the division if they would if add I, that bat. If I could have my predictions back, I would remove the Nationals and replace the Mets. Cause I, would, I would agree with that 100%. The only thing, though, is that the Nationals aren't far off either. The only team that's really out of it in that division right now is the, uh, is the Miami Marlins. Well, and, that they're, was, and, they're, and, they're, and they're six out, for God's sake. That, that was supposed to happen. The, right. The, the Nationals could easily have double-digit wins if their bullpen wasn't the worst in the majors. Right, and yet there's still a pretty big bullpen arm that's out in free agency, but I really don't want to get into that again. <laughs> so let's move on to the NL Central. You have the the Milwaukee Brewers, last year's NL Central champions, and currently leading the division at 10-6. and six. Behind them are the Cardinals at 9-6, and six, Pirates at 8-6, and six. surprise, surprise, 
Cincinnati Reds at five and nine, and the Chicago Cubs at five and nine. So uh, Milwaukee Brewers contender or pretender obviously got to go with contender here. They have arguably the best bullpen arm in the majors right now with Josh Hader. Josh Hader. You could argue Felipe Vasquez might be better than him, but I think as of now, Hader has the edge on Vasquez. And with the way Christian Yelich started off the year, it, I just thought it was just going to be another repeat MVP season for the, the for the outfielder. But as of right now, the the Brewers have a chance to really get something going. And just like the Phillies, they're five and five in their last ten. So obviously they got off to the hot start at five and one. But you know the 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 Milwaukee Brewers have what I think can be an, an easy division schedule besides the St. Louis Cardinals and run away with the division in the long run. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think this is definitely a two-team division between the Cardinals and the Brewers. Um, The Brewers just, for whatever reason, the last two or three years, they seem to be really gelling. Um, They have the bullpen arms. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they'd be in in the market for a a starting pitcher somewhere down the line to really solidify their rotation. Um, But like you said... Yeah, Dallas Keuchel, who's still a free agent, too. Let's not get into that again. Um, But they have the bullpen. They have the lineup that that seems to be always always a threat every time that they're in the batter's box. So um, I agree with you 100%. That's definitely a a contender for me. So, I mean, like you said, the Cardinals are another team uh, as a threat to take over that title, like I said at the beginning of the year. And um, I, I still feel foolish for not picking the Brewers to be a playoff team, but I'm going to stick to it because, you know, I still think, like I said, they're a contender. They had the chance to do it. Um, I just want to make sure I don't uh, turn heel on my predictions, if you know what I'm saying. No, I, I like the wrestling term there. For Thank a wrestling you. I, guy, non, a non-wrestling guy, I'm really glad you used that. Thank you. So let's move on to the, the final division, the NL West. We have the San Diego Padres leading the division at 11 and 6. Dodgers right behind them at 9 and 8. Diamondbacks 7 and 9. Giants 7 and 10. And the Rockies at 4 and 12, just picking up a victory in their last contest. So, Jeff, you're up in this one. San Diego Padres, contender or pretender? I'm going to go pretender. I don't think they're deep enough that, yes, they got Manny Machado in the offseason. Um, I'm going to say pretender. Two teams in this division that are going to get a little bit closer for them. Obviously, the L.A. Dodgers, I believe Kershaw's making his debut tonight uh, for the season. And I think the Colorado Rockies are really going to turn this around. Um, I don't think that team's nearly as bad as what their 4-12 and record shows right now. Um, I think they'll, they'll definitely turn it around. And once we start getting some warmer weather in, De- in Denver, Colorado, they're going to turn it around. And it's going to be between the, uh, the Dodgers and the Rockies again. I mean... Call me crazy, but I think this team has a legitimate shot at making the playoffs, so I'm going to give them the contender. And the reason I want to do that is not because of the Dodgers. I think if the Padres do make the playoffs, it will be as a wild card. But look at the rest of the division. You were just mentioning that the Rockies might make a comeback, but I I don't see the Rockies repeating as that playoff team that we saw last year. Um, I They basically had the same um, rotation as they did last year. But with, with Nolan Arenado not being able to put up the numbers early on like he has been before, you lose players like DJ LeMahieu, who um, you could argue has fallen off a little bit, but has just been a solid second baseman all his career in Colorado. I think the Padres can take advantage of the division schedule for the rest of the year and be a threat 
to the Dodgers, not win the division, but just be a threat to them and then fall off maybe around the end of September and potentially be a wild card team. And you could argue that there are two players that are sparking this team right now early on, and that's obviously Manny Machado, the three hundred one of three three hundred million dollar men, and Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop, who has just been phenomenal for the Padres, and he's twenty years old. Yeah, and uh, here's a little nice little stat for you on the Colorado Rockies. Not to talk about the bottom of the division uh, too much here, but they have yet to win a home game. Zero and five on on uh, a course field this year. That's that is telling of if, what the Rockies have not been able to do this year. It, and I'm telling you, I think it's a lot, it has a lot to do that they just need to get a little bit more consistently nice weather in um, in Denver, Colorado. But if there was a team that needs to make sure they capitalize on every home game to win, it's the Colorado Rockies for for as much as we hear about how much of a difference the air is there and how how it the, it boosts the offensive numbers and everything. Um, that 0 for 5 at home game so far this year is just that needs to be turned around very quickly if they want if they want to get uh, back atop the division. Give me a team with a 500 or worse record that can make the playoffs in the NL, and then we'll move on to the AL. 500 or worse. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Chicago Cubs, and I really hate them a lot. And that's why I don't want to. I I. Uh, the re- I think that the lineup that they have there is too good to be where they're at in the standings right now. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I still think the that bullpen is just god awful. It is, and ag- and again, who is a free agent still? Uh your boy, Mister Craig Kimbrell. Right, and I mean, I I was watching a Braves game uh, last week, and I think. Um, this guy, you know, gave up a uh, a home run, a game tying home run in the in the ninth inning, and like I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like it's clear, it's a clear obvious issue we have right now is that our bullpen walks guys and we can't get people out, but yet we still leave the the uh, the best relief pitcher in baseball is still a free agent. And nobody wants to pay him. So completely negate everything I said about your pick. I'm going to pick the Washington Nationals because they going into the year were regarded as a better bullpen than what the Chicago Cubs had. Uh, so I think this is just a fluke that the Nationals have right now and can get by it because Trevor Rosenthal had four straight appearances with the Nationals to not record an out. And you want to take the one prior to that with the Cardinals before Tommy John surgery, he tied a record with not being able to record an out in five consecutive appearances. He broke the streak, but I think that's just a fluke by the Nationals right now. I think they're probably the odds-on favorite as the at the current time a 500 or below to make the playoffs in the NL. The, the only thing that concerns me with them is that for how tight that National League East is, you got to weed somebody out. And I think they're they're just going to be the team that's left out. Yeah, I could agree with that. So let's move on to the AL. Uh let's go to the AL East and how about the Tampa Bay Rays at 12 and 4 in that division and the rest of them just Looking up from a far away distance, the Orioles at seven and ten, surprise. The Yankees at six and nine, hashtag nice. The Red Sox at six and eleven, and the Blue Jays at five and eleven. So, Jeff, I'm gonna say that this Rays team is a contender. They have awesome starting pitching along to go along with Blake Snell and company, and 
the one dude who I think could get the Rolaids Relief Man of the Year is Jose Alvarado because that man has the dirtiest two-seam fastball in the league, and it is scary to see a pitch that moves almost, at almost 100 miles per hour move the way that he throws it. If they have a lead, I don't think they give it up, and if they do, it's not going to be very often. This Tampa Bay Rays team is a team to be reckoned with. I know I kind of left them out in the predictions, but I always had them back there. It was like they had 90 wins last year. They had the potential to do it again, and right now they are getting off to the hot start, showing that this team is ready to take on anyone that goes in front of them. Oh, well, they got two big horses that are going to be coming once they get healthy and once they get going. Now I'm talking about the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Because those two teams feel they own this division. It should be between two teams. And uh, once the Yankees get healthy, look out for them. And once Mookie Betts decides to start playing baseball, what she's playing, the way he's playing right now, he is called unacceptable. Um, we'll, we'll see how Tampa Bay is able to, uh, to handle themselves. So I'm not quite ready to call them a contender quite yet. Um, if we have this conversation again in June and the standings say the way they are, um, I might be able to, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with a uh, pretender for them. All right, so let's move on over to the AL Central. Right now, we have the Minnesota Twins at eight and four, leading the division. Uh, both the Tigers and Indians at eight and seven. White Sox at five and nine, and the Kansas City Royals at five and ten. So, Jeff, do you have the Minnesota Twins as a contender or a pretender? I think they're a pretender as well. I think once Cleveland gets healthy and they're able to uh, kind of get some. Uh, some regularity in their lineup uh, when Jose Ramirez is able to come back and be healthy. Um, I think Cleveland just runs away with this division. I mean, as, as a good of an offseason acquisition, I think, as it was to get Nelson Cruz, who is only a DH and is very old, um, I think that's good to have a bat that can you know, power the ball out of, the, out of uh, um, I believe it's now target field uh, to get it out of there. I think it helps the Twins a lot, but I'm going to have to agree with you saying that, I mean, the Indians, once they get healthy, they're going to just run away with it per usual. It's going to be the usual thing for the Indians to win that division and then blow it all in the playoffs. So I had the Twins as a pretender currently leading the division. So AL West, we have the Seattle Mariners at 13-5, and five, the Houston Astros at 11-5, and five, the the Anaheim Angels, the LA Angels, whatever you want to call them, at 8-7, and seven, the Athletics at ten and nine, and the Texas Rangers at seven and seven. Everybody at five hundred or above in that division. Let's focus on the Mariners at thirteen and five, just pounding the baseball left and right early on in the season. But Jeff, I'm going to have to give this team the pretender look because I don't think those bats can hold up as long as they are should in that in that division. Um, I think the Seattle Mariners got off to that hot start, but when you have the Houston Astros and you even have the Oakland Athletics right behind them as well, I don't think that's gonna last for Seattle. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna last either. Um but I'm Houston I'm not I don't even know if I'm ready to say that they would take over for Seattle. The team that I'm looking at is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever the hell they're called. Um they're they're able to keep the boat afloat with Mike Trout having this growing injury or issue they're having, and when he comes back, I expect him to go off and he and to be only three and a half out right now. And when he gets back in that lineup, I expect them to skyrocket and they take over the top of this division. I, I think 
arguably the Houston Astros have the most talent on this roster. And when they don't get shown up by a home plate umpire, they have a, a chance to arguably win a lot of games. So, um, I mean, I, I do love what the Mariners are, are doing right now because in the offseason, Jerry DePoto said we're just going to blow everything up and rebuild. And they're, they have one of the best records in baseball right now, which is just puzzling to me. So it, I don't see uh, as a franchise to get off to a hot start like that and maintain it after you have just gone into blow-up blow mode and get rid of a lot of major pieces that were supposed to be successful in your operation. So uh, let's end it off in, with the same question as uh, last time. In the AL, uh, with any team that is below 500 at the moment, who do you think has the best chance at winning their division? The Boston Red Sox. I think they're the most underachieving team right now. We talked about it on a previous episode that they kind of got a raw deal that they had to go all the way out to uh, to the West Coast after spring training to start their year. Um, they finally came back east. They're they're starting to play some home games. Um, so I think I think once they they're able to get comfortable, kind of get used to the schedule back east, and um, they just need some of their their big guys like Mookie Betts to get going here and. Um, and then they'll they'll be right back on top of the division where they need to be. I'm going to have to go with the team right above them, the team that has the hashtag nice record of the New York Yankees because for them to only be three games below 500 and to have over half of their roster, what seems like, on the IL, the injured list now, not the disabled list, um, it's just really awful for the Yankees to have all those injuries at the beginning of the year. But it just shows that they are deep enough to – at least, like you said about the Angels, keep the boat afloat a little bit, and then once everybody gets back in, in the ringer, you can start uh, rallying the W's up on the board. So I got the, the New York Yankees making that comeback. Right now, um, the one concern, if I want to bash your pick a little bit, the one concern I have with the Red Sox is Chris Sale. I mean, right now, he is a much different man on the mound than he, than he has been ever in his career. And for that to continue for three straight starts and when I say that I mean lose velocity and not get swing and misses on his fastball it's concerning so until he gets that fixed I think it's going to be uh, a potential long year for the reigning World Series champs yeah I, yeah he's got to get himself figured out I'm sorry I was kind of daydreaming here Mitch Martin You're watching the Maple Leafs and Bruins just holy shit what a shift for Mitch Martin to end the game he had like four blocks in a row I mean that guy's gonna make a ton of money in 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 the offseason when he gets paid but he just he just stood up and blocked about three shots in a row to uh to seal a victory and the Leafs are up 2-1 in a series holy cow way to go Mitch Martin that's that's playoff hockey right there um who, who predicted that series uh winner I think you did. Yeah, you took the Leafs, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I've been uh, see. I've been watching this the the Leafs since I was about twelve years old. We used to get the hockey package. I'd be the team we used to watch all the time. I just expect to get disappointed by this team, so <laughs> that's why I didn't take them. And but, anyways, uh, yeah, the the Red Sox their pitching has to get get going again. Um, if Chris Sale's not going, they're in big trouble. So once he gets going, um. Like I said, they got big pieces that they really need to get going. Um, if they don't, they're going to be in big trouble, and it might be a long year up in New England. 
So let's wrap it up with our uh, MVP talks. Remember, as always, guys, if you want to discuss anything that we talk about on our show, you can send us voice messages on anchor.fm. Uh, find our podcast. There should be a, a button in there that says, like, you know, like leave a message like, or record your message. And we could, uh, if you want, play it on air or we could just uh, uh, discuss it. We can quote it and then discuss it on air. And then, you know, if you want to leave us anything on Facebook or Twitter to dis- to discuss about, uh, we usually have content on both areas there where we have uh, open areas for discussion for anybody to show off their, you know, their, their knowledge on there. We, me and Jeff like to expose ourselves a little bit, but you get, you guys can prove yourselves why, you know, no, you're smarter than us in some areas. So all you guys can always look, look on uh, Facebook and Twitter for all that stuff. So wanted to get out there, that out there, Jeff, before we get into our MVPs of the week. And uh, there's a couple choices here. I think, I think, um, what did I go first last week or did you? I think I did. Okay, so just let me uh, take over here. Um, I was gonna do one, um, and I'm gonna wait until after you say yours before I say the one I thought about using. But I'm gonna go with somebody who has just got over one of the worst slumps in all of history. Um, when you go 0 for 54 uh, and cannot get a base hit, cannot even get anything like not even any love, like reach on air, but it really is. But it's an error, but the hometown scoring gives you a hit. You go 0 for 54. You finally break it with a three-hit performance against the reigning World Series champions. I'm giving it to Chris Davis for just ending what was arguably the hardest point of his career. Um, Ever since signing that big deal with the Orioles, he has been nothing but god-awful. And that's really one way to just cash out and bro down with... with, um, getting your money and then showing that, you know, maybe it was just a fluke, but Chris Davis got over his slump and just kudos to him. So he's going to get the, uh, kind of like the pity star MVP of the week for me. There you go. That's not a bad one. Um, I think my MVP, uh, I know I wasn't listening to your baseball analysis towards the end of our contender pretender thing that we were doing. Uh, my (laughs) MVP, my MVP is going to go to Mitch Marner a hundred percent. Um, after just watching him lay lay down, he knows he's getting paid uh, in the off season. He's gonna get a he's gonna get a really nice ticket that he's gonna sign. Um, anytime you see a star player like that uh, sacrifice their body and what a lot what a lot of people would think maybe a third or fourth liner has to do to stay in the lineup to see a guy that's gonna be making six, seven, eight million dollars a year on a contract uh, lay down and block shots like that. Um, it's the one thing that makes hockey, at least my sport, absolutely beautiful is that it's all for one and one for all. Um, so Mitch Marner, you're my MVP for the, for the week, just standing up to three block shots in a row, um, and, and sealing a victory to give your team a two, two, one lead in a series. At least he didn't take it to the private parts. Like one of the sharks, uh, players did over the weekend. Yeah. Looking at tour, man, that was just painful to watch. Yeah, it was. That was. That was something that every guy cringes about. You don't want that happening to yourself. Yeah, um, not at all. So the one I was going to say was Jose Altuve for the Astros. Um, but I, I really, there's no other time to give it to Chris Davis besides right now. Uh, but Jose Altuve had six home runs in a five-game stretch. So just Altuve, the, the shortest man in baseball, the little engine that could just showing off the, the power and the, and the bat speed is just all you need in baseball. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Jose Altuve has really made a name for himself. Um, 
stuck around Houston for, you know, how, how long during the really dark days of that, that organization. And, um, uh, thankfully he was able to get rewarded for it and, uh, and, you know, kind of got paid, got his world series. So, um, yeah, hundred percent smallest guy in baseball. And he, he seems to always be producing, uh, no matter where he's at in the lineup. So that, that is our show. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Remember you can, Drop us a like on Facebook at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. And also on Twitter at Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y Takes. You know, that's spelled the, the same way on both Facebook and Twitter. You can also follow us on Twitter at Big underscore Dave 52. And at Christ underscore 51. Hey, you know what we were talking about, Jeff. It's the end of the show. You always, That's always that little pause there. You're probably watching the post-game analysis of that game, aren't no, you? No, they got Nashville-Dallas on right now, but I'm not really that invested into uh, into our um, into this game. I'm still waiting for Calgary-Colorado later, later on. So, remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, um, both on the page and our own personals, and you know, drop hate mail to us if you want to. Um, we actually do have an email, uh, ictakes at gmail.com, if you guys ever want to drop us off anything there and send it, and tell us anything personal, you, you can send it there as well. So, um, you know, we're going to be on the show next week. You know, hopefully, how crazy would it be, Jeff, if one of these teams down 3 nothing is still in it by the time we start recording next week? No, I hope it's the Pittsburgh Penguins because that means that they won uh, Tuesday night, which I will be in the barn for. I really hope I don't see, uh, I don't see any handshakes. Hey, and you know, I don't even care about my pick anymore. I just want to see my my hometown, our hometown, the team, still be in it by next week. But until then, you stay icy, people, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you guys.